Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, you ready to hear the word? Come on, give me a little better than that. Like, I know it's foggy outside. Our summer disappeared overnight, and it turned into like Ireland over here for the last week. But uh, it is week two in a series that we started last weekend. Uh, our summer series, we're calling it Wise Up. Come on, turn to someone next to you, slap them, and tell them, Wise Up, son, Wise Up. <laughs> nicely said, nicely said. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time or you didn't make it last weekend, uh, during the summer months, we're going to be studying through the book of Proverbs. And as the subtitle suggests, we're going to be applying these ancient Proverbs to our modern day experience. Uh, this book was predominantly written by King Solomon, as we learned last weekend. And additionally, we learned that his wisdom was, was not a, a matter of life experience or education, but his wisdom was divine in origin. The, the Lord himself granted Solomon wisdom. And so as we go to this book and we study it over the summer, this is not like, you know, the latest life hack book from some sage or guru. These are the words of God preserved in scriptures and given to us to apply, yes, even now a few thousand years later to our modern context. In fact, that is how the book opens up and introduces itself. It, it tells us that that's the purpose of these Proverbs. Our, our key verse is uh, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, where Solomon writes, these are the Proverbs of me, Solomon, son, uh, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. That's the purpose of the book. That's the purpose of the series, to help us to do. Everybody say do, to do what is right. Not just to know what is right, but to actually apply that knowledge in our world. As we said last weekend, there's a massive difference between knowing the right thing to do and doing the right thing. And the purpose of this book is to allow us to apply what God is speaking to us through the scriptures to our day-to-day life. Uh, last week, we looked at tuning our ear to wisdom. We, we discussed the fact that at every crossroads, thank you, Bone Thugs and Harmony, uh, in, in life, there is a, a, two different voices, two competing voices. The crossroads being that space where you have to make a decision and determine, am I going to go this direction or that direction? Am I going to make the foolish decision or am I going to make the right decision? And at every single one of those crossroads, there are two competing voices vying for our attention. The voice of foolishness and the voice of wisdom, both personified as women in scripture to the celebration and chagrin uh, of all the ladies in the room. Uh, but we learned that if we're going to walk down wisdom's path, we need to learn how to keep our ears tuned to her frequency. Uh, today, we're going to dive into our next bit of Proverbs, and as uh, luck would have it, it is yet another part of the human body. As we were studying for uh, this series, we kind of ended up with an unintentional sub-theme of like body parts, because Solomon uses a lot of body parts to analogize different aspects of wisdom, and so we talked about the ears last week. Uh, in coming weeks, we'll talk about the heart and the feet and the mouth. Today, we're talking about the eyes. The eyes out of the windows to your face. Yes, the eyes. <laughs> Every time I say the word eyes, I can't get Christopher Walken out of my head. It's great. Specifically, we're going to be talking about vision, one of my favorite subjects to discuss. And uh, we're going to look at the word here in just a second. But fair warning, this is a very short but very powerful scripture. Short 
but powerful. It's like my Italian mama sitting in the front row. She's four foot 11. She swears she's five foot, but she's four foot 11. <laughs> but she's powerful. She's short. As all the Italian women like to say, uh, uh, dynamite comes in small packages, right? Isn't that what they say? So this is a dynamite scripture, uh, but it, it's, uh, it's very short. So Proverbs 29, 18 is where we're going to spend all of our time today. Solomon says this, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Why don't we read it together since it's so short? Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Uh, the New Living Translation, which is the translation I read most days, it, it says it like this. Without divine guidance, the people run wild. I almost titled this chat, Christians Gone Wild, but I thought, no, nah, that's inappropriate. So <laughs> we didn't title it that. This short scripture has been incredibly formative in my life. This has been a life scripture for me over the last 15 or 20 years. And I'm really excited to share how it's spoken to me uh, over the next few moments that we have together. Uh, I'm not titling it Christians Gone Wild, but here is the title. I'm gonna pose it to you as a question that I believe God is asking to all of us today. And here's the question. Do you see what I see? Do you see what God sees for your life? Let's, let's pray as we get into the word. And uh, as I said last weekend, every week I want to pray the same prayer as we go to the scripture. Uh, James chapter 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you can ask God for it and he will not rebuke you for asking. Proverbs chapter 2, which I read yesterday, says that the Lord grants wisdom. So as it pertains to vision, let's come to God today and let's ask him to give us some fresh wisdom for the area of vision in our life. Father, we, we love you and we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it has the power to transform our lives, to change the way we think, and therefore change the way we live. And, and we ask today as we come to this simple proverb that was written thousands of years ago, that it would be applied in a, our modern context in such a way that it would transform the way we live. May we see what you see so that we can live for the high call of God on our lives. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. So... As we study out these Proverbs, uh, it's important to note that every single one of the principles we see in the book of Proverbs uh, has an antithetical application. Uh, in other words, the, the statement itself is true, but the antithesis, the opposite of that statement, is also true. Uh, for example, uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 9, verse 11 says, Wisdom can multiply your days and add years to your life. Well, the opposite of that is true. Foolishness can rob you of life, if you will. Uh, the Proverbs chapter 11, 25 says, the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Well, the opposite is that, of that is also true. The stingy will not prosper and those who do not refresh others are not candidates for God's refreshing. You see what I'm saying? The opposite of all of these is true. And that antithetical approach is the approach I want to take today with this proverb in chapter 29, verse 18, because I, I think as we see it in reverse, as we see the opposite, it can inspire us to live a little bit differently. What does Solomon say? He says, without vision, people cast off restraint. They, they live wild lives. Well, the antithesis of that statement is also true. When there is vision, we embrace restraint. Or, or maybe better said, in keeping with our key text, where there's vision, there is discipline. When, when we have vision, we live disciplined lives. Uh, let me give you an example. Today is an exciting day for Robin and I. 
directly after the 11 o'clock service, we will be kissing the foreheads of our children and handing them off to their grandparents. And uh, we are going away on a bucket list vacation directly after the 11 o'clock service. Uh, I am very excited. Thank you for saying woo to that. I appreciate that. And this won't affect you, but it will make me look a little bit like a diva at the 11 o'clock service, because here's how it's gonna go down. I'm gonna say amen. I'm gonna put a microphone right here. And then like a celebrity that just gave a TED talk, I'm gonna skip right past this little black curtain back here. I'm gonna grab my suitcase and I'm going to get into a vehicle uh, because our flight leaves almost directly after church and I don't wanna miss the flight. And I can joke about that because y'all know that that's not how we roll, okay? Like, we, we, we are normally out on the porch, drinking the coffee, eating the donut holes. We love people. I'm a mermaid like that, you know? I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them eating. Yes, that's, that's who we are. But not today. Today, I want to be where the beaches are. Yes, that's where I'd like to be. So your boy is out directly after the service. <laughs> but that vacation vision has created some discipline in our lives. It's created some restraint. For the last six months, it's drastically affected the way we've spent our money as we pinch our pennies and make sure that we are well prepared for the vacation we wanna take. Uh, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, it's created some incredible discipline in our diet and exercise habits for the last few months. I don't think I've ever been healthier than I am right now, or as miserable as I am right now, but I don't think I've ever been healthier than I am right now. Three months ago, the idea of saying no to dessert after a meal was a foreign concept to me. That is not American. Come on, where, where are my dessert people at? Like, yeah, you're my people. Or you used to be. I don't know what happened. Things have changed. Like, for the last few months, I've said no to things like chocolate cake and fresh baked chocolate chip cookies and Mitchell's ice cream. Things that no human should have to deprive themselves from. Exactly. But, but I had a vision, okay? And that vision created some discipline. Uh, here's the vision. Maybe it's, you know, this is something that I'll minister to a married couple. I saw myself coming up out of the waters of the ocean, <laughs> kind of like one of those Baywatch scenes in slow motion, glisteningly tan as I tip my hair back and water flies off my mane. And my wife, who's sitting on the beach sunbathing, she just tips down her glasses and she goes, Ele do megale, papa. Which in the Greek uh, means, get over here, big daddy. That's what it means. <laughs> and that vision has created some discipline. By the way, just for the married people in the room, why do we do this? Why do we work out and diet like crazy when we're going to go on a vacation where a bunch of strangers are gonna see us in a bathing suit, but then the other 51, years of the, uh, 51 weeks of the year, our spouse has to live with the other version of us. Who are we really trying to impress? You know what I'm saying? Let's just, food for thought today. What was I saying? Vision <laughs> creates discipline. But here's the problem, here's the problem. All human vision has a shelf life. It, it, it has an expiration date. When the vision or the goal is accomplished, or if it is determined to be too, too difficult, eventually in our humanity, we, we tap out. You, you, you go on the vacation, you overeat, you live a sedentary life for seven days, you gain all the weight back, and then you lose vision to continue to eat and exercise like you were before until the next vacation comes around and you start the cycle all over again. The, the restraint produced by human vision is often unsustainable. 
And that is why as Solomon begins to teach on the subject of vision, he's very careful about the language he uses because the vision we're speaking of here is not a vacation body. It's not a New Year's resolution. It is something much deeper than that. The word that Solomon uses in the Hebrew as he begins to speak of vision is the word chazon, chazon. It's like calzone without an L, which I'll probably eat while I'm on vacation. Chazon. And it means this, divine direction, oracle, or prophecy. Divine direction. In other words, we're not just talking about some grand plan you have for your life or some goal that you set into place. We're talking about divine direction. We're talking about God's vision. Without God's vision, the people cast off restraint. To to borrow our title, what Solomon is saying is if you could see what God sees for your life, if you had his vision for your current circumstance or for your future, if you could see what God sees, it would drastically change the way you live. It would bring restraint and discipline to areas where you are currently living carelessly because you would know that's not what God has for me. God's vision changes everything. Let me, let me modernize it and contextualize it a bit. If you could see what God sees for your life, you would begin to embrace two words that most of us in the room hate, especially as Americans. And here they are. I can't. I can't. Vision says, I can't do that. I can't talk like that. I can't watch that. I I, I can't spend that. I can't think like that. I can't associate with that. I can't affiliate with that. I can't sleep with that. Vision embraces some restraint. I, I, I can't do this. Man, that is a countercultural phrase right there. In our culture, we pride ourselves on boundless freedom. We pride ourselves on the fact that nobody gets to tell us what we can and we cannot do. We have associated freedom with a life of zero restraint. I think, honestly, that's one of the reasons that many people, they reject the idea of faith or even people of faith. They think to themselves, okay, if I say yes to this Jesus guy, I'm going to have to say no to some things that I actually really enjoy in my life right now. And I'm probably going to have to do some things that I don't really enjoy right now. I'm going to have to wear khaki pants with a tucked in patterned shirt. No offense if that's what you're rocking today. I'm going to have to watch like Fireproof and God's Not Dead and listen to Caleb. And that's not my jam. And so I'm good. I'm going to stick with my... Liberty. I'm going to stick with my freedom. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, wherever I want. You, you can keep all of your restrictions. In our context, we've associated the idea of freedom with casting off restraint. But friends, that is not freedom. Freedom is not the absence of any kind of restraint in your life. Ask somebody who's been addicted to a substance for the last decade if they feel free or if they wish they had a little bit more restraint. Ask somebody who can't 
can't help but look at pornography every single day of their life if they feel free or they wish they had a little bit more restraint. Ask somebody who's lost their marriage because of an affair and now they can only see their kids every other weekend if they feel free or they wish they had a little bit more restraint. Ask somebody who's lost a house or a car because of overspending if they feel free or if we wished we had a little bit more restraint. Do not mistake restraint and restrict. They are very different. A restrained life is not a restricted life. A restrained life is a focused life. It's a life that says, I cannot do this, not because I'm trying to restrict myself and live a prudish life. No, it just doesn't fit into God's vision for me. I see what he sees. I know what he's called me to. And so although this might feel good in the moment and and I might desire it in my flesh, I will restrain myself. I will live with discipline because in order to get to where God's calling me, I cannot embrace the temporary pleasures of what I'm being offered. That's vision. I was talking to a buddy of mine in the church uh, this last Tuesday. He, he called me up in kind of a panic, and he's like, man, can you pray with me? I need to share something with you. And I asked for his permission to share this story today because it just, it was perfect. I was sitting at my desk preparing the sermon, and he called, and I'm like, you just became a part of the sermon this weekend, buddy. Thanks for calling. Uh, he's, he's an amazing guy. I've been coming to the church for a little less than a year uh, and was just recently baptized, uh, just kind of fast-tracked in God. Like he's in a leadership group right now and uh, he's going through first 40 and just growing in God like crazy. I love seeing that kind of stuff. He's, he's good soil. It isn't like God favored him and he, he just was hungry for the things of God. And so God's advancing him like crazy. And uh, by the way, if you're a single lady, he's also single. Uh, good-looking guy. Uh, great job, very eligible bachelor. One of my favorite parts of his personality is that he loves to help people. Uh, every day after work, he volunteers as an addiction counselor and uh, he helps people who are addicted to substances, drugs and alcohol get free. Really, really good dude. Uh, but he called me in a panic on Tuesday because he, he wanted to share something that was happening. He said, hey, I was at one of my meetings recently and uh, this woman who's uh, a bit older than me uh, and does not love Jesus Uh, she noticed that I'm an eligible bachelor and uh, she started making some rather aggressive passes at me. He said, in no uncertain terms, she said to me, hey, listen, I'm not looking for a husband. I'm not looking for a boyfriend. I'm not looking for any form of commitment. I'm just looking for a good time. So if you're up for it, come on over to my house and we can go for it. And and I love this guy because he's super transparent. He's like, bro, can I be honest with you? Like six months ago, that was a dream come true. (laughs) Sex without any kind of commitment, let's go. Like, this is awesome. But then watch this phrase. He says, but now I can't. Even if I want to, I can't. And he said, here's why. As an an addiction counselor, when, when I stand in front of people and I share my story, The reason I have authority to speak into their lives is because I'm not just talking the talk, I'm walking the walk, I'm living in freedom. And he said this, he said, Tim, I have never been clearer on what God has called me to do with my life. I know that the way that he innately gifted me to lead people is supposed to translate into the kingdom. And I know that he's called me to lead people, to disciple people in the ways of God. But if I'm gonna lead people in the kingdom, I can't be hanging out with cougars on the side. I got to walk the walk just like I'm walking the walk in my addiction counseling. And so even though I want to, I cannot do this because I know what God has for my future. Friends, that is vision. It's the ability to say, ah, 
God, this was my dream six months ago, but I see something greater. I see what God sees. And because I see what God sees, I will restrain myself because I know that something greater lives on the other side of it. That's vision. Which brings us to a question. That moment in the sermon where I force us all to personalize this and ask ourselves a confronting question, and here it is. Do you have a vision? Do you have a vision? He does. Do you? Do you see what God sees for your life? And and let me expound on that ever so gently because we're not just talking about God's plan for your future. You know, God has a vision for every area of your life. He, He has a vision for your marriage if you're married. In fact, if you're not married, he has a vision for your season of singleness. He has a vision for your kids. He has a vision for your purity. He has a vision for your vocation, for your location, for your resources. Every area of your life, he's got a vision for. But do you see what God sees? And if you're like, I'd like to, I don't know. (laughs) Here's a potential revealing question to determine whether or not you see what God sees. Perhaps asking a follow-up question, because if discipline and restraint is the byproduct of vision, then maybe another question you could ask yourself is, where do I lack restraint? Where am I living an unrestrained life? Because that is revealing something to you. It's not revealing that you don't love God or that you're bound to failure that area where you keep tripping up and falling into the same ditch and that pattern of sin that you can't seem to shake, it's not telling you that you just need to try a little bit harder and work a little bit more to please God. And if you just tried, it's not what it's telling you. It's telling you you're lacking something. It's not a discipline issue, it's a vision issue. Do you have a vision for that area of your life? Let me say it like this. Do you have God's vision for that area of your life? Because if you saw what God saw, it would transform the way you live. And so as we consider that, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I've got some areas where I'm lacking restraint. Here's how I wanna conclude the remaining portion of our sermon together. I wanna help us to practically begin to see what God sees for your life because it doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, In fact, we're gonna follow the same pattern we did in last week's sermon, uh, despite the redundancy of it. Uh, Because if you recall, I said, tuning our ear to the voice of wisdom is both practical and spiritual. Well, today, I think that seeing what God sees for our lives is both practical and spiritual. So so let's start with the practical. For the note takers, you can write this down. To see what God sees, we must see what he says. Better said is when... want to see what God sees, we must first see what he says. Uh, Come back to our key text, Proverbs 29, 18, and let's look at the second half of this proverb that Solomon writes. He says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint, but happy and blessed is he who keeps the law or the word of God. So, So Solomon begins to answer his own question of vision right here in the second half of this proverb. He says, if you, if you want to live with vision, then look no for, further than, and then he uses this word, the Torah, 
which is the written word of God, the first uh, portion of the Bible, the written word of God, which brings us once again back to this book. I'm sorry if I'm preaching the same thing today, but it's the same application. It brings us back to the word. I said last week, and I will say it again, I am convinced that the greatest reason for Christian failure is biblical illiteracy. People do not know what the word of God has to say, and so they do not apply it to their lives. Well, to contextualize that statement for this chat, I am convinced the reason that so many Christians live visionless lives is because they do not know what the word of God has to say about their life. It has a lot to say. You know, this book says of itself, everything you need for life and godliness is found here. Everything. There is chapter and verse for every situation, every problem, every shortcoming, every area where you might lack vision. There is a chapter and a verse for that situation. That's why last week I said, I want all of us, especially during this series, I invite you to do it for the rest of your life, but to read the Proverbs every single day. There's 31 chapters. There's 30 or 31 days in a month. Read the Proverbs every day. I gave you my mantra. A proverb a day keeps the stupid away. If you don't want to be stupid and you want to make some wise decisions, go to the source of wisdom and read it out. T today was, was the third, Proverbs chapter 3. One of my favorite portions of Proverbs chapter 3 is chapters uh, 5 and 6, where he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. I love that visual. Don't lean on your own understanding. Perhaps we'll unpack that in another week in this series. But every single day, be in the Word. However, let me... Let me let, let, let me add to that challenge a little bit today as it pertains to the area of vision. If we're trying to see what God sees, here's what I want to encourage every one of us to do. To write it down and speak it out. Say that with me. Write it down and speak it out. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk. There's a, ver a book you don't go spend a lot of time in. Habakkuk chapter 2. It says, write down the vision and make it clear. Never underestimate the power of writing down scripture and beginning to declare it over your life. And let me, let me clarify what I mean by that. You know, I know what areas in our lives we tend to cast off restraint. You know yourself better than anybody else. You know what areas in your life where you are tempted most frequently the areas where you consistently fall, you, you know. So, so rather than waiting for that opportunity to present itself again and fall back into that same ditch, instead, find out what the word of God has to say about that thing and equip yourself so that when the time comes, you can speak out God's vision over your life in that area. You know where you're lacking restraint. If you lack restraint in the area of sexual purity, begin to write some scriptures down from Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. Write down the, the promises that he makes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, if you keep yourself pure, you'll be used for the high call of God. Write those things down. If you find yourself struggling with substance abuse, write down what the scriptures say about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, it's much better. If, if you struggle in the area of spending, write down God's vision for your resources. 
If, how about this? If you struggle in the area of anxiety and worry all of the time, write down Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious about nothing. Pray about everything. Thank God for what he's done. Tell him what you need. And then the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Write those things down so that when the enemy comes, when the cloudiness of vision comes, you can begin to declare over your life what the word of God has to say. You can say, no, God's called me to purity. He's called me to victory. He's called me to blessing. He's called me to peace. That's his vision for my life. And so I'm gonna speak those things out. If you wanna see what God sees, we have to first see what he says. See what he says. There's your practical application. But as I said, it's both. It's both practical and spiritual. So here is your spiritual application for vision. To see what God sees, you must surrender what you see. That's a big one. To see God's vision, you gotta surrender your own vision. Uh, last scripture, and I'll invite the worship team to come as we prepare to conclude. Romans chapter 12. I love this scripture. We've used it so many times, but it never gets old. It's one of the most powerful portions of scripture in the book of Romans. Paul writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your life up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then, you will learn to know God's will, God's plan, God's vision for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Then. Paul makes it clear. God has a will, a plan, a vision for your life. And he makes it clear that it's not horrible. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. It doesn't involve khaki pants and Kirk Cameron movies and Caleb, unless you're into that kind of stuff, in which case it's probably in the vision. <laughs> but I love the way he says that. It's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. It fits you like a glove. It's exactly the way that you were made and designed. It, it fits you perfectly. But he says the revelation or the seeing of that vision is predicated on something. It's predicated on the practice of what he tells us needs to be done in verse one. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, you need to offer your lives up as a living sacrifice. You need to surrender your plans, your thoughts, your vision. Then, and only then, once you've surrendered, will you learn to know, will you understand and see God's vision for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Perhaps that's why it's so challenging sometimes as a Christian to see what God sees. Because so many of us are just white knuckling, clinging to our own vision for our lives because we haven't learned to surrender, we haven't seen. There's a, a meme, it's super cheesy, and I apologize for it. I'm gonna put it on the screen in just a second. 
but I'm a girl dad, so it kind of resonates with me a little bit. And uh, it's really perfect for what we're talking about right now. So if you want to make fun of me, you can make fun of me. That's fine. But put this up on the screen real quick. I think that's Romans 12. I know it's cheesy, but God is saying, hey, I have something for you that's so good. It's so much bigger and it's so much better than that itty bitty vision that you're clinging to right now. I know you think that what you've got in your hands is a really good plan for your life, but I promise you what I have is so much better. It's more fulfilling. It's less frustrating. It's gonna bring joy to your life. I got something great for you, but man, you gotta let go of that thing you've got. You gotta let go and surrender that vision you have for your life. And you can take that off. If, if that's required, I, I would be a fool to suggest that it's easy to do. Like there's a lot of things the Bible just says kind of very simply, but they're really challenging. <laughs> And I'm not gonna pretend for a moment that it's easy to hand your teddy bear over. It's easy to hand over your vision, especially when you've invested some time and some money and some years of your life, some passion, some energy into seeing that vision come to pass. Especially when you've told friends and family members, this is what I'm gonna do. This is where we're gonna go. This is the plan I have. So you even feel like you're verbally on the hook for some of those things. And the idea of surrendering that almost feels like forsaking this thing that you've been working so hard to see come to pass in your life. Yeah, surrender is not simple, but Paul gets that. And that's why he starts this scripture off the way that he does. Before he tells us what we must do in surrendering our vision, he makes this statement, I'm paraphrasing. He says, if you're having a hard time seeing God's good, pleasing and perfect will for your life, if you don't have the ability to see what he has for your future, let me encourage you to do something. Why don't you take a look back at what he's already done in your past? How did he start that scripture off? Therefore, in view of God's mercy, with a vision of God's mercy, therefore, therefore, therefore. He says, guys, I'm gonna remind you of something first. Before I tell you what you need to do, I'm gonna remind you of how God has already been really good to you. He's shown you boundless mercy. And as a result of his goodness, I ask you to lay down your vision. See, what we don't recognize just by reading this scripture is that for the previous 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has done a rather exhaustive job of telling people how good God has been to them. In chapter one, he says, you have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. In chapter two, he says, can't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God has been with you? Can't you see how his goodness and his mercy has led you to a place of repentance? In chapter three, he says, you've been called the righteousness of Christ Jesus, and not by anything you've done, but simply by faith in him alone. In chapter four, he says, there's some good and precious promises that have been stored up as an inheritance for you. Chapter five, even when you didn't want anything to do with God, he wanted everything to do with you. While you were still a sinner, Christ came and he died for you. Chapter six, you've been set free from the power of death and sin. For when you went down in the waters of baptism, your old man died. And when you came up, you were a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Chapter seven, the old man, the slave has been put to death and you are now free. Chapter eight, there is no condemnation 
salvation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor anything else in all creation. Chapter 9, you've been grafted into the inheritance of Israel. Chapter 10, by faith, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saved regardless of who you are, where you came from, what you've done. Chapter 11, His mercy, His kindness, and His goodness is unending and it's been extended to you. Now chapter 12, in light of all of that, in light of how good He has been to you, I plead with you, I beg you, I implore you, lay your life down at the altar. Become a living sacrifice. Because if you do, if you will see how good He's been and you will lay your life down, you get something beautiful in exchange. You get to see what He sees. What's good, pleasing, perfect for your life. And God did not create you to walk around visionless, walking around in the fog, pun intended. No, He created you to have a crystal clear vision of where He's calling you to. That's where it starts. That's the invitation. Surrender yours and get His. In fact, that's how I want to conclude and pray today. I want you to bow your heads. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us today. (sighs) Father, we thank you that you do see something for our lives. You don't owe us anything. If Jesus was all we got, it was more than we deserved. But in your abounding love for us, you said, not only will I give you salvation, but I'm gonna give you a vision for your life. I'm gonna do something great through you. You said to a bunch of teenage fishermen, come and follow me and I will make you into something great. And that invitation is alive and well today. I pray for every person in this room who's found themselves in the same cycle of casting off restraint for those that have been unable to to lay hold of purity or stability or haven't been able to walk in freedom in different areas of their life would you just begin to reveal a fresh vision right now as they lay down their plans as they seek out your word this week would you begin to roll out a roadmap allow them to see what you see and maybe this morning, as we're getting ready to conclude, you'd say, Tim, I, as you begin to speak there about Romans chapter 12 and surrendering everything to Jesus, I don't know if I've actually ever done that. Maybe you followed Christ at one point in your life uh, and you've walked away, or maybe you've never made that decision to follow him. And I wanna tell you that today is a great opportunity to surrender your life to him, to become his disciple. In fact, he saw you here this morning. What he saw for your life was you sitting in a chair at 2850 19th Avenue on a Sunday morning, and he knew you'd be here, and he's speaking to you, son, daughter, will you come home today? And I want to make space for that. If you, if you need to get things right with Jesus before you leave this place, and you know you need to surrender your life to him, I want to pray a simple prayer of commitment with you before we close. But as I do that, I always like to see who I'm praying with, because I continue to pray for you in this journey during the week. Um, and if that's you, would you Just do me a huge favor before we pray. Would you just slip up your hand and look at me and say, Tim, I'm praying that prayer along with you this morning. I'm committing my life to Jesus. Got you, bro. Yeah, both of you guys right there. Awesome. Yeah, right there. Awesome. Yeah, I got you up there. That's cool. All right, I'm gonna pray this. 
you can repeat it in your heart after me. Just say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving your life for mine. Today, as Paul instructs us to, I lay my life down on that altar. I declare you have all of me. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to walk in your ways and to be your disciple from this day forward until the moment I see you in heaven and you look me in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that's been set before you. I love you and I thank you for what you're doing in my life today. In Jesus' great name, amen, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.